Rats. <laughs> okay, let her rip. Hi, welcome to a High Rod Bible Study. So tonight we're opening a new book tonight. We're going to be in 2 Peter chapter 1 tonight. We're going to be doing verses 1 through 4 tonight. And so uh, we're, before we get started, I usually read the text, and then before we get started tonight, we'll just pray and ask the Lord to bless our time together. And so, Father God, we, we thank you, Lord, for your goodness, Lord, and we thank you for your love. We ask, Lord, that you would uh, continue to guide us in all areas of our life, Lord. And Lord, as we open up your word tonight, Father, we pray, Lord, that our hearts would be open to hear what it is that you have for us tonight. Lord, as we, um, we look out into the world, Father, we see many things, there are chaos and all these things, and we should not be surprised, Father, because your word tells us so clearly of the things that will come. So, Lord, we have come, we've gathered tonight, Lord, to hear from you, the living God. So we ask that you would be in our study tonight. We ask that you would be in all things, and we pray all of these things tonight in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 So here we go. We're going to read uh, verses 1 through 4, and then we'll go back and we'll see what the Lord has for us. So here it is, Second uh, Peter chapter 1. It says, Simon Peter, a bondservant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have obtained like precious faith with us by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ, grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord, as his divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness, through the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue, by which, have, having been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises, that through these you may be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. <clears throat> we see tonight as we've been studying through First Peter, one of the things that we see clearly here tonight is we see that Peter's letter, and I think many of us, we, we oftentimes we think that as Peter was writing down or pinned his very first letter, that we oftentimes I think we think in our minds or I think in my mind that maybe Peter sat back and said, okay, well, I finished that letter. Maybe now it's a good time to write the second letter to them. But what's interesting is I like to do a little bit of introduction to Second Peter. And the reason why is because when we go to a movie, we always want to know the who, went, where, why, why are these things happening. And so I like to do an introduction uh, to Second Peter tonight. And it is in, in this area that we see things of Peter. And so I'll, I'll start off tonight with we see that the author here is, is Peter, Simon Peter. Um, and we remember that his name is Simon, and his name Simon, it means God hears. This is what Simon means. But we remember that in one, in first John, or John 142, that Jesus changed Simon's name, and he changed it to, in the, in the Aramaic, it was Cephas. And in the, and we remember that it was in the Greek that he changed it to Petros. And both of them had the same meaning, meaning stone or rock. And it's interesting because many commentators that as we talk to about Peter, as his name was Simon, that it really means sifting sand. And so he took Peter and he was telling him that I'm going to change your name and you're going to be a man of a rock. You're going to be a rock. And we're going to see that tonight as we see that Peter, his name was changed mightily. 
we see something here um, in this very first chapter of, of uh, Second Peter. And one of the things is many Bible expositors, there's a lot of discussion about the different writing styles um, between First Peter and Second Peter. And it's interesting, um, you know, the lists go on uh, for, you know, pages and pages of just the things they think about in the writings, the differences between um, 1 Peter and 2 Peter. Um, but we're, we remember that last week as we were studying and we were closing the book of 1 Peter in chapter 5, we remember that there was a, a, a Salvanus that they spoke about, and he was the one the scribe that who wrote the letter of 1 Peter, and he was the one that wrote it down, that pinned it. Um, and so this is, the, he's talked about this there in, in the end of chapter 5 of First Peter. And so many of the Bible expositors, commentators, they believe that possibly that Peter maybe had a different scribe to write Second Peter. Um, and so he had a different scribe. Um, some of the commentators say there's anywhere between a year and a half and three years um, with the writings between the two books, between First Peter and Second Peter. So we see that there is a little bit of a difference. Um, but also there is, in the, some of the commentators have actually spoken about that actually that maybe possibly even John Mark, which is we get the Gospel of Mark, maybe possibly was one of the scribes that helped write Second Peter and actually wrote it down, pinned it down. But we know some things through this, and, and you know all these commentators and all these Bible expositors, they go through this back and forth and who wrote it. But one of the things that I'm always reminded of, and it's here clearly in this chapter, and it's in Second Peter 1.21, it says, For prophecy never came by the will of man, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. And so we see that it is God's word that holy, the Holy Spirit moved on godly men and that they would pin the word of God. And we see that Second Peter here is in the 66th book of the canon of Scripture. And so we, we know it to be the word of God. And so this is the, the reason why. And so all of that to, to let you know about some of the things that go on here in Second Peter. Um, the next thing that we see is um, who is this letter written to? Um, this is always an important thing for us to know that who is the letter written to? Um, and we learned this, uh, we learned this from 2 Peter 3, 1, for he tells them that this is his second letter that he's writing to them. And so these are the same people that he wrote to in 1 Peter. And these are the people that were dispersed, remember, because of the persecution of Caesar Nero. This is the reason why that they are, uh, they are actually part of the dispersion, that they are fleeing of the persecution. And this is where Peter writes this letter to the people that are being persecuted. And remember that those people are in Pontius, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia. And this is the area of Asia Minor, and which today would be modern-day Turkey. And we see that. And so we, we learn a little bit about who they're writing to and how we know this. And as, as like I said, it was Second Peter 3, 1 that he tell, talks about that this is his second letter that he's writing to them for. And so we see something here that we want to know also the reason why Peter is writing this letter, the reason that he's writing. And it's interesting that some of the letters, the first thing that really stands out or really jumps out to me is that Peter is aware that the end of his life is near. And this is one of the reasons why he feels it's so important to write this letter. And if what I, what I, when I was studying this, one of the things that I, really jumped out at me, that we see a man like Peter as somebody, he knows that he is coming to the end of his life. Some commentators, um, even I, I was reading some things that some people even believe that as he wrote Second Peter, within a couple of weeks that he was martyred. And other people say that, no, it was like a year later. But anyway, it was a short time 
that he was martyred after he wrote Second Peter. But one of the things that we see in this letter, uh, you know, as we see as Peter, as he was so uh, enveloped with the word of God and he had this relational relationship with God, that when he wrote this second letter, rather than him asking for something or desiring something for himself, we see something, the attributes of God in him, that he was asking for things for others. That he was no longer concerned about himself, he was concerned of others. And it's just so important that we see that as, as we see that he was um, thinking about these things. And so he wrote this letter, to, it says here, to stimulate Christian growth. And we're going to see that as we go through the first chapter in the next couple of weeks. We're going to see that areas, and this is where Peter, he comes out and he starts to tell people that I was eyewitness to some of these things. He talks to them about the Mount of Transfiguration that he remembers, that he tells them that I was there personally, that I was eyewitness, and these things are truth, and that you are to know these things. And I am. And he wants them to know that before he departs and he leaves. And so this is the area that he wants to talk about. Um, and so we see in, in chapter 2, one of the things that I, that I love about it, and this is the main theme of Second Peter, it is that he is going to combat the false doctrine, the false teachers that are in the church. And, and what's so interesting about this, that we remember that as we went through First Peter, that the attacks seem to come from the outside. But we see that Peter here in this second letter is going to show us that the attack now is coming from within. And this is interesting to me because we see that the enemy, our adversary, Satan, you know, he, he had the mentality that he was attacking the church from the outside. And he eventually came to the conclusion, if you can't beat him, join him. And this is what the enemy has done. He has infiltrated the church and he's come in the church with false doctrine, leading others away. And this is the letter tonight, why Peter is writing this letter, that we would be grounded in the Word of God. And so it's just so powerful. And so we're going to get into that in chapter 2. And in chapter 3, it is another thing, is that he says that in chapter 3, he's going to address, and I know many of us as believers, as followers of Christ, we've all encountered people like this that say, that they say in the, in the last days there's, there's going to be scoffers, and people are going to say, that, oh yes, the, Jesus has been saying that he's going to come for 2,000 years. Where's he at? But we remember that what the word of God tells us very clearly, that is 2 Peter 3, 9. He said, the Lord is not slack concerning his promises. He says, the, 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 what, uh, it's so amazing that I see, we see that there, that we see that, that the Lord's heart, that none would perish and that all would come to repentance. And, and I think that that's the thing that we don't see, that God is long-suffering. He is patient. He is kind. He is waiting. Uh, I share this with you many times that oftentimes that I thought when I became a believer, I said, okay, Lord, I'm ready for you to come. But I wasn't thinking of others. I wasn't thinking about other people who did not know Christ. So they, they feel that the, the letters, uh, this, this letter, Second Peter here, is written approximately 64, 65, even maybe even 66 A.D., um, one of the things that we know that um, they believe that late 67, that this is when um, Peter was martyred for his faith. And we remember that the historian Eusebius, um, he wrote that his, not only Peter was martyred that day, that his wife was also murdered that day. And one of the things that I think is so interesting, if you follow the, the study of Peter, that he was married. And, and this kind of goes against what uh, some people believe, that he was married. And we remember that in Matthew 8, it spoke about that Jesus healed his mother-in-law. 
And so we see that in, in Matthew 8. And so we know that Jesus was married. And so it's just interesting to me that this historian Eusebius wrote that, that not only was Peter a martyr, that he also, that his wife was martyred. But we remember that Peter, when he went and he was to be crucified, he said, I'm not worthy to be crucified like my Lord. And he asked that he would be crucified upside down because he was not worthy to be crucified like his Lord. And so one of the things that I see that in this, in this uh, letter here, Peter, that he, and as he comes to the end of his life, we see that God is softening his heart. And I love the way that uh, Pastor Greg said on Sunday, you know, as we have come and have received the gift of Christ and received it in, in the love of Christ, that one of the things that we should be doing less and less is that we should be sinning less and less. That the, you know, we, and, and I'm not here tonight to tell anybody that we're ever going to get to the area where we're going to be sinless because that is impossible. We are not God that we are going to be. But as we walk with Christ and as we have a love for Christ, and this is, uh, many people say, you know, the, the, the beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord. And, and that fear is not a fear that the Lord is going to strike us down with a lightning bolt that know that we see as we've been walking through Christ that with Christ that he loves us so much that we don't want to transgress against the Lord because he loves us and he's given us so much that we see that the love that Christ has for us. So tonight, before we get into the study, I'd like to uh, share a, a little, small little story with you. And it is about a Chinese boy who wanted to know everything there was to know about Jade. He wanted to know everything about Jade. So he went around his little small village and he asked people, um, who knows the most about Jade? And they said, there's a master um, that lives in this house, and he knows everything about Jade. And if you want to know about Jade, you should go and, and seek him. And so this young man, he went and he sought this master of Jade. And he went there for the very first time. This master said that he was actually doing a lecture. And he spoke to him. He said he was going to be doing a lecture in the next few minutes. And so he asked him if he would please um, just sit in the back. And he said he would start his first lesson. And so he got a piece of jade out of his desk. He opened it, took a piece of jade, and he put it in his hand. And he asked him to close it. And he said, sit in the back, and I'm going to give my lecture, and then we'll, we'll talk about the jade. And so the little boy was excited. Okay, I, I got in. I got the master. I got the guy who knows everything about jade. I'm in the right place. This is perfect. And so as the master starts to give this two-hour lecture about things, about life, he's talking to other people. And this boy starts to think, well... This master did not know that I was coming. He didn't know that I was coming tonight. And so this lecture is not prepared about Jade. And this is the reason why he's not mentioning anything about Jade. And so he went on this two-hour lecture, sat there very quietly, held the Jade. After the master finished, the people left. The, the, uh, the master comes up to the boy and he said, can I, can I get the Jade from you? And so he took the Jade out of his hand. He put it in the desk. He told the boy, come back tomorrow. And so the next day, the, the boy was a little bit more excited because he said, hey, now he knows that I'm interested in Jade, so his lecture is going to be geared upon Jade, and he's going to talk about Jade all of the rest of his, his study here. And so he went there the second day, and he went, and, and the same thing, the master put the Jade in his hand, told him to sit there. He was listening to the lecture, and the whole two hours he was disappointed because the master did not say anything about Jade. And he was becoming a little bit discouraged. But he, this continued for weeks. This went on for two weeks that he was continuing. On the, on the weekend of the second week, he started to tell himself, if something doesn't change, I think I'm going to tell the master I'm not learning anything. And I'm just going to say, hey, maybe I should just learn Jade from somebody else because I feel he felt in his heart that he was wasting his time. And so he went back the Monday of the third week of the beginning of the week and the master came the same thing that he had done in the past. And he went and he put the stone in his hand 
And the boy walked back and he sat in his, in his seat where he normally sat. And he was thinking in his mind for a minute, I'm not learning anything here. But what, the, what actually happens, he, it came to him right away as he felt this stone that he had in his hand. He said, it's not jade. This is not jade. Because he had been holding for two weeks, for two hours on end, he'd been holding real jade. And he, at the end of the, at the end of the, the, the actual, the study, he, he went and told the master, this is not jade. And he said, ah, you are learning. It is because you have spent time with the real thing. And this is the study of second Peter, that we would be so immersed in the word of God that we would recognize when people come and knock on our door on Saturday mornings and they hand us a pamphlet or they come with white shirts and ties and they speak to us. And I mention this tonight because we want to reach those people with love. The gospel of Christ is not a gospel of we're trying to correct other people's gospel, that we are trying to tell them of the love, the true love of Christ that he has for them. We should never look at people who don't know the word of God as people. And, and, and remember this, that one of the things as we, we learn about people in other religions that come to your door and knock on your door, they are looking for people that don't know the word of God. They are looking for people that don't know the word of God. And so my prayer is that when they knock at your door, that you would use the things that you learn in church, that you learn in the study, that they come and not to combat them, but to try to reach them in love and to tell them of the love of a Christ, that a savior, that we are not trying to earn our way to salvation, that it's all been done on the cross as a couple of weeks ago, we celebrated the resurrection of Christ and we should know that it's all been done for us. And so... Yes, go ahead, John. Um, I heard a story about uh, I was minding his own business one Sunday morning in his home, and a couple of young men rode up on bicycles with their white shirts and ties and knocked on the door, and, and uh, the man answered and said, uh, "Hi there, you like to come on in?" Well, yeah, sure. But, but what do you what do you want to talk about? We don't know. We never got this far before. <laughs> you know, it, you know, it's funny that you, you mentioned that, John, and I love that because, you know, I've had them knock on my door and I've actually asked them to come in. And, and it, you know, one of the things that, that, that I really love is that a lot of times, and, and you, you know, you guys do your own thing, but, but, uh, whatever the Lord puts on your heart. But one of the things that I love is I always ask them if they have a Bible. And it's, you know, they have a Bible and I'll grab a Bible and I'll grab it out of their Bible and you can read scripture out of their Bible and then you ask them something about the scripture and, and it really, it really opens their eyes because they, they see, hey, he's not reading a different Bible. He's re actually reading my own Bible and he's actually asking me questions about the love, the love of Christ. And so it's very powerful when we see that we, we can open up the scriptures and we can share. And oftentimes when people come to my house, if they actually come and, we, and before they leave, I tell them, hey, let's pray together. And they pray and they leave. And something must happen because right on the corner of my house, there's a stop sign where they would lock up their bikes all the time. That, that they would continually every week, I would see every week and I would see the, box, the bikes locked up on that same uh, pole right in front of my house. But they wouldn't come to the door anymore. They, they no longer come to the door. And, and they often said that they would, but they wouldn't come any longer. But we want to try to reach them with, with the love of Christ. So here we go in verse 1. It says, uh, Simon Peter, a bondservant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have obtained like precious faith with us by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. One of the things we see very clearly here that we see that as he refers to himself as Simon Peter, and we know that, that Peter is getting to the end of his life. 
And the thing that I thought that was so interesting of this is he addresses himself as Simon, as his old name. And it reminds me, as, as I've been walking with Christ, that it reminds me that my old nature, that oftentimes that it, it, it gears its ugly head. And, and even though that I've been walking with Christ for over 20 years, that it gears its ugly head. And so I'm always reminded and I'm always so thankful of where God has brought us from that the areas that God has brought us from. And the longer that I walk with Christ, I am just in awe of what God is doing in my life, that He, where he has bought, brought me from, that he saw me swimming in the toilet bowl of the world, and he rescued me, and he brought me out. And this is what he wants to do with each and every one of us. And I'm sure many of you have um, similar stories. But one of the things that I see here that he changed, that, that God, we remember that Jesus changed his name from sh- sifting sand and he changed it to Peter the Rock. And this goes, um, this comes from Matthew 16, uh, verses 13 through 18. And I think it's powerful. Um, just go with me. I know it's a little lengthy, but go with me. So this is, um, uh, this is, um, Jesus. He's at Caesarea Philippi. And, and you know what, what, what I'm so excited about this is here very, in the next couple of weeks, I believe that the church is there in Israel and they're going to go to this very place. Caesarea Philippi. They're going to go to this very place. And the Caesarea Philippi is just such an amazing place. But Jesus was there with his disciples. And remember that he told his disciples that, who do men say that I am? And then some of the disciples said, said, hey, they say that you're John the Baptist. And others say possibly Elijah. And others say Jeremiah. And Jesus asked his disciples very clearly, who do you say that I am? And it was Peter the writer of this book that spoke up and he said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And and we see that Jesus, as he spoke to Peter, he said, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven. I I wanted to draw your attention to that. He called him Simon Barjona, bar meaning son, he called him the son of Jonah. And we see that, that that's in the scriptures in, in John 21 as Peter was uh, going and, and, the, and the Lord was restoring Peter, that he called him also the son of Jonah. And this is early in Peter's ministry. And I, I wanted to draw your attention to this, that we see that, that the Lord is telling Peter that he has the same stubbornness as Jonah had. And we remember the story of Jonah, an amazing story that a prophet of God who was called to go to the Ninevites, to deliver the message of repentance for God. And we remember what Jonah did, right? He, he had had history with the Ninevites, and he, didn't, he despised the Ninevites. He didn't like them because they were cruel people. And he see what he did is he went down, and the Lord told him to go to the Ninevites. And what did he do? He boarded a ship and went 2,500 miles in the opposite direction. He went to Tarshish, not to where God had called him to go, and one of the things that I just wanted to share with you, that he gets in this boat. And we remember that one of the things that I think is so powerful is he gets in this boat in his stubbornness. He gets in his boat and he's running from God, running from God. And we remember that as you've given your lives to Christ, that if there's ever an opportunity or there's ever a chance that you, you want to run from God, know that God will send the hounds of heaven seeking after you, kind of in the prodigal son, the same thing, the hounds of heaven to seek after you because he loves you. And so we see something in that Jonah that he, when he was boarded the ship and he went 2,500 miles in the wrong direction, that the Bible says that he went down to the bottom of the ship. And remember, the ship was being tossed and it was being torn apart. 
this, as it was out there, and the, and the seamen, the, the, they, they started to think, what's going on? What's going on? What's happening? We're, we're familiar with these seas, and we've never experienced this, this typhoon-like thing that's tearing apart the ship. And, and, they, and they, they gathered together, and they were crying out to their gods. And it says in the Bible, little g, they were crying out to their gods. And, and what they did is they gathered together and they cast lots. And the lot fell on Jonah. But they said, where's Jonah at? And the captain went down to the bottom of the ship and he found Jonah sleeping. And he said, awake you sleeper. And he said, call on your God. And this is powerful because I see something in this that the men, as Jonah boarded the ship, that they saw through his their, in, their uh, interaction with Jonah, they saw that he was a man who believed in the true God. And they said, call on your God. And we saw that, remember, that Jonah goes up to the top of the ship and he tells them, this is the reason why you're in this storm, because it is because of me, I'm running from God. And they tried to row back to the shore, they couldn't do it. And they said, how are we going to get out of this? And Jonah says, the only way you can get out of this, is you're going to have to throw me overboard. And they didn't want to do it. But, but they said, hey, you know, our lives are probably more important than yours. And so they got Jonah and they, and they threw him overboard, right? We know the story. And many people, as, as I share this story with you tonight, many people say that this is an allegory. This is, like I said, in the canon of Scripture, this is the Word of God. This is a true story that he threw him overboard. And we all know that the Bible said that God prepared a fish, a large fish. And, and when you think about this, this large fish, there's areas of in our lives that oftentimes we think that God knows what's going on in this part of my life, that we see in the book of Jonah that God prepared a fish when he was, a fish was a baby. He was preparing him all along to, to swallow up Jonah for three days and three nights and to spit him up into the area that he was going to go. God knew all along, and so he prepared. And so there's areas of our lives that God has prepared all things. All things have been prepared. And God has given us those things. And God wasn't surprised when Jonah went 2,500 miles in the wrong direction. He wasn't surprised. God knew all along that this is what he do. This is the reason why he prepared that large fish. And so when he came, and remember, he vomited him up on the, on the shore. And Jonah, after he spent three days and three nights in the belly of the whale, and then he was vomited up on the shoreline there. And, the, and some of the commentators say that, that, that Jonah was you know, kind of albino, that all the, the, the stomach acids and everything, that kind of dyed all his hair. And, and so he went to the Ninevites with a message. And, and his message was that he still had a hatred in his heart for those people. But his message was, 40 days and you will be destroyed. This was his message. He went around preaching the message 40 days. That was his message. And so he, he was you know, pretty much telling the Lord, I was obedient to what you told me. But we see that the Ninevites, they saw him and they heard the word of God and they repented and they fasted and they turned from their ways. And we see that those 40 days as they went, as they came closer and closer, the Bible said that the Lord relented from destroying the city of Nineveh in 40 days, he relented. And we see that Jonah in the story, he was very upset about this. But this is the thing that we want to learn from the story, that we serve a God who is mighty in mercy, that he is mighty in grace. He wants to give out grace. He doesn't want that none would perish and that all would come to repentance. But we see in that, that this is the stubbornness that we see that Peter has. And God is trying to take that away from Peter and his walk with Christ. And this word of God today is so powerful that I've known hardened criminals who have spent 
much of their lives in prison and have heard the true gospel of Christ and these mighty men, hardened, toughened men, that their hearts have been changed by the mighty power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And this is the reason why tonight we are sharing tonight the word of God, that it is so powerful that we would share with brothers and sisters in our family and others, that we would share the love of Christ because the love of Christ breaks down people's hearts as hardened as they look on the exterior. And we see that God did a work in Peter's life as he comes close to the end of his life here. And, and I just think that it's so powerful that we see that he has changed um, by these things. And it says there, um, it says, uh, and it says here, Simon Peter, it says a bondservant. We all remember a bondservant is a doulos, right? This is a slave who willingly wants to stay with his master. And so this is what Peter is telling the Lord, that he is a, a, a willingly servant wanting to serve the Lord and an apostle of Jesus Christ. And it says, to those who have obtained like precious faith. Um, this uh, obtained in the NIV, it says received. And we see that we have received this precious faith. And we all remember that Ephesians 2.8, it says, we're so familiar with this verse. It says, and but we skip out on this part of it. It says, by grace you have been saved through faith. It is through the faith that we have been saved, through the grace of God, through the faith. And the faith is believing the finished work of the cross that Jesus went on the cross. As we spoke about a couple of weeks ago on Good Friday, that he was the atoning sin, paid for the sin for each and every one of us. And so we see this, this faith is mighty. And it says, I don't want you to miss this here in, in, in verse 1. It says, I love this, of the righteousness, and this is what it says here, of God and Savior, our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. So you see, I, I, the scripture are very clear here that Jesus is God. It is stating it here very clearly that Jesus is God. And so this is uh, the areas of scripture that I like to point out because when people do come and knock on your door, that these are areas of scriptures where you can go to that it says right here very clearly that God, or Jesus is God. And so he refers to him, God, our God, righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ, that he is God. And so I think it is so powerful that we see that. And there's a couple of other areas if there's anybody taking notes tonight. Titus 2.10, um, Titus 3.4, um, and we always remember John 1.1. 1, 1. And this is a very clear declaration that Jesus is God, right? That in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And we see that very clearly, that Jesus is God. But I love this one here, that this is also, I mean, also comes uh, from, it comes from the same area of scripture. Um, this is um, John uh, 1.14, and it says, and, and, the, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory. This is so powerful that we see. And these are some of the scriptures that I, that I want to share with you so we see very clearly that the clarity that Jesus is God. And one of the last ones that I want to leave with you is John uh, 20, 28. And we remember the story that Thomas, right? He told Jesus that many of the disciples had told Jesus that, hey, unless I, I didn't see it with my eyes, unless I see it or, or hear it, I, I won't believe. And we remember that, that this is when the Jesus appeared in his resurrected body. He, he, encouraged, uh, he encouraged Thomas to put his hand in his side, right? And he put his hand in his side and he said, my Lord, my God. And we see that Jesus said something very important to us. He said something to him, to Thomas. He said, you, you, you've seen and you believe. He said, blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. 
And, and this is, this is a blessing for each and every one of us. Many, all of us in this room, we have not seen God. We've seen his work, but we haven't seen God. But we see that the Bible says that Jesus said we are blessed because we not, have not seen him, but yet we believe. It's so powerful that we see um, this the, the goodness here. Of But we see, I, I wanted to point that out, that uh, Jesus Christ is God. And we see it very clearly here. Here in verse 2, it says, Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God, um, the knowledge of God and Jesus our, our Lord. Uh, we see something here very clearly, and this is uh, very familiar. We should be familiar with this. This is grace and peace. Uh, we, we, in the Bible, there never is peace before grace. There always is, always in the Bible, it's grace before peace. And it is the, one of the reasons is, is because it is impossible to have true peace until you understand or accept grace. It is, it is impossible because once you have that peace, you know that you have received the grace or understand the grace of God. And we see that this is the gift. And, and a couple of weeks back, I, I shared with you guys and I, I was sharing with you guys that the gift that God gives us, it is free, right? I said it was free, but you remember, we have to accept that gift. We have to accept there's people that have been born in a Christian family, but that does not mean that you are a Christian. It is when you give your life to Christ. Remember, Nicodemus said that we must be born again, right? We must be born again, that we of, of what is water is water, and what is the Spirit is of the Spirit, to be born again. But one of the things that I, I, I love here. Um, that we see that this is by grace that we've been saved. We all know that Ephesians 2.8, but one of the things that we see tonight, that there was a, a young man, a college uh, student, who was nearing graduation, and he came from a, a family that was very wealthy. And his father, he, he told his father, he said, Father, his father said, you're getting near graduation, What's, uh, what can I buy you for your graduation gift? And his, his, his son said, Dad, I, I didn't think you would ever ask. I have been wanting... For a long time, I've got all the magazines. I even got a couple of Hot Wheels. I've got all these things. I've been, I want a black 1977 Trans Am with the bird on the, on the hood. It has to be a black one. I, don't, I know there's a white one and a brown one, but I want a black one. This is what I want for my graduation present. And he, and he explained to his father all the details of this Trans Am that he wanted, the snowflake wheels and the raised white lettering, all the things that he, and the T-tops, he had to have the T-tops, all the things he explained to his father that he wanted for this, this gift for graduation. As he neared graduation and, and the graduation day came, he graduated and they were having a party at his house and for a graduation celebration. And so the, the boy was very excited. And so people gathered in the family there to congratulate him. And he was there. And so he opened up some of the gift. But his father's gift, he waited until the very end, even though that it was there. And he unwrapped his father's gift. And it was in a package. And he was so excited. And when he opened up the package, he was so disappointed. Because when he opened the package, what was in it, there was a Bible. And he put the Bible off to the side and he continued to mingle with the people, but his heart was crushed. His heart was crushed because he wanted that Trans Am and he, his father gave him a Bible. And so he put it off to the side and he put it um, in his room. He, he kind of went in his room and left it. And so the next couple of days, he had a couple of job offers and he finds his career and he goes on with his life. And so years go by and he still communicates with his fathers, talks to them on the phone, but they never speak of the Trans Am again. They never speak of it again. And as these time goes by, eight years go by and he receives a phone call from his father's attorney. 
And it says, I'm sorry to tell you this, but your father has passed away. But he has left his whole estate to you, his only son. He has left his estate to you. So the son makes arrangements to come back into town and he goes through and he, as he goes there in the house and he goes through in the first day, he starts walking around the house and he goes into his room and that package with, which he knows is a Bible is still there, very, you know, put together, very, the wrapping still left in the place where he had left it eight years later, still sitting there. And he said, I can't believe he's still in his heart. He said, I can't believe my father. And I remember that day. And so he unwrapped the present completely and he picked the Bible up out of the box. And out came a keychain with that bird keychain and it landed on the desk with two keys in it. You see, the, the gift that he had always wanted that his father, he thought that his father didn't give him, had given it to him all along. But this is the thing that's so amazing about that gift that he has gotten that we see that his father could not force him to receive the gift. We see that his father loved him so much his father loved him so much that he gave him Jesus and he was throwing in a Trans Am as well. But we see that our heavenly father, that he will not force us to take the gift that he is, is giving us. He will not force us. He is a gentleman. But we, if you've come here tonight and you have not received the gift of Christ, that we are forgiven of our sins, cleansed. The Bible says very seriously, if seriously that if we will confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. This verse has been called the Christian bar of soap. It's, it cleanses us. It's very important that we see that, that this, this cleansing of it. And so we see that this father had a love for his son and he did give him those things. So here, here we see uh, the grace and peace uh, multiplied really quick here in verse two. A uh, hundred uh, plus a hundred is great, but a hundred times a hundred is is multiplied. And this is uh, what what there, Peter is saying here: grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God. The word knowledge in the Greek is the word gnoskos, um, and it's interesting because it is a relational knowledge. It is not a knowledge like we know. Uh, President Obama, but I don't know if anybody in the, in the room has actually had a conversation, shook his hand, and spoke with him. We know, we know all these different presidents. We know these important people. But this conosco of, of the, of the knowledge of God is a relational, is a relational relationship that we would have with God. And one of the things that, that, that really jumped out at me this week is, um, there is a word in Spanish and, and it says, um, you know, it says conosco means that I know you, right? I know you. And, and you know, it's interesting that these things come about that a couple of weeks ago, my wife, um, she said, hey, um, I'm going to put, I got your tags for your truck, that truck that I drive every day. I got your tags for it. And she said, I, I, I put them in your lunchbox. I put them in your lunchbox. When you get a chance, can you put them on the truck? Because it's going to expire in the next couple of days. I said, sure. So I go to work. I'm telling you, two, three weeks go by. Two, three weeks go by. She, one day, she gets me off just totally off guard. And she just tells me, hey, did you put those tags on your, on your truck? And I said, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Knowing, and, and you know, the thing is so funny about it is she said something. She says, ya te conozco, which means I know you. I know you. And she knows when I have a tendency to get busy that my normal is to put things off. And so this is so amazing that so she went out and sure she went out to the truck, found the tags or still were in the lunchbox and we took them off. We put them in the truck. She had to help me do this because like you said, though, she, she didn't have any faith that I was going to do it at a later date. But one of the things that I want to say that that conozco, the reason why that my wife knew this is because the relationship that we have 
over 34 years of, of me and my interactions with her and her. She is familiar. And this is what God is calling us, that we would know the attributes of God and that God would know our attributes, that when we are in need of things, that we are to call out to our Heavenly Father. Remember, the Bible says, Abba, Father, right? Daddy, He calling out to our Father that He would give us all things. And so this is the, the relationship that He wants to have with us, and this is the knowledge of God and Jesus, our Lord. And we see that Jesus is not only uh, our Savior and our God, that we see that He is our Lord here in this verse. So here in verse 3 it says, As His divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us by His by glory and virtue. One of the things we see here, this word, this divine power, is the word in the Greek is the word dudamos is where we get the English word dynamite. And so we see that God, He gives us this, this dynamite, He gives it to us, this dynamite power, divine power. And, and we see something in this, that we see that He gives us this power, that we have all things that pertain to life and godliness. We've been, as we accept Christ, we've been given all things that we need. But there is something that we're lacking, and I think that we can learn those things by what, and, I, and this is really spoke to me this week, that you know a baby, when a baby is born, the baby doesn't have any hair, doesn't have any teeth, right? Doesn't speak, doesn't walk, but it doesn't mean that it doesn't have everything it needs to grow and to be those things. And this is the same thing to, here, as this verse says, we've been given all things as we give our lives to Christ, that all we need to do, do is to grow in God and grow in the grace of God. If we will grow in those areas, it will, uh, we will see that we will gather and we will be in all areas that we need as we grow in God's grace. And this is all we need is that all the things that God has given us that we can just grow in those things that will be, um, we will be, have understanding. So we have it all for, and godliness, it, it really, um, it's, it's God-likeness. When somebody says, hey, that's, that man's a godly man, it's because he reflects he, he, he reflects Christ, that we see he, he is God-likeness, that he is God-likeness. And this is, when I, when I speak to you about this, I, I want you guys to, to understand that I'm not speaking about a religion. I am speaking about, we've talked about this, conosco. it is a relationship that we have with Christ. It is a relationship. It is not a, we don't belong, you know, we're Christians, but we don't belong to some denomination that because we belong to the denomination, we believe that we're going to get to heaven no, we are Christians and we are followers of Jesus Christ that we know that it is through his gift of grace that we are saved. It is through, it's through that gift that we're saved. And so we, we see that very clearly there. And so here in, in verse 4, it says, By which, having been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises, that through these you may be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. One of the things that I love here is that we see that Peter, he loves the word precious. He loves the word precious. He uses it seven times in these two um, chapters here, or in these two books. He uses them seven times. Um, and, and so he uses them in, in, I won't even tell you the seven times, but it means of great value. And so this great value that, 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 uh, that Peter puts on these things, that it's just so powerful that we see. But the promises of God. I think that this is so powerful for us to see. And I wrote down a couple of promises, but there is so many more. Did you know that there is 30,000 promise, over 30,000 promises of God in the Bible, in Scripture? Uh, and I love this. Uh, before I share that with you tonight, uh, one of the things that I love is that John Bunyan wrote 
It once said that a pathway of life is so strewn so thickly with the promises of God that it is impossible to take one step without treading upon one of them. I think this is powerful that we would see that, that, that I love this, that he says that it's, it's so thick that we would tread on the promises of God. Um, some of the promise I wrote down tonight is, uh, this comes from Hebrews 8.12, and it says, And their sins and their lawless deeds I will remember no more. I, I love this here because we know that God is all-knowing, but He chooses when we ask Him for forgiveness not to, believe, not to, not to remember our sins. He chooses not to believe them anymore, or not to, not to actually to impute that iniquity on us. He chooses not to. He is God. He could remember them. But I love that, that scripture there, that He chooses not to remember them anymore, that He wants to have that relational. And remember that many of us, if you've been married for any particular time, you know that when you um, make a mistake or you do something wrong in, in your relationship with your wife, and you do something that's not, that not right, and you, and, you, and you go before your wife, and even though your wife says, I forgive you, it tarnishes our relationship. Because now my wife doesn't look at me the same way anymore. But God is not that way. God is, when we ask God for forgiveness, it's like we never sinned in His eyes. Right? Justification, right? This is what we receive by God. Just like I never sinned. Justification. This is what God imputes on us. He gives us because He loves us. Um, Hebrews 13.5, and we, we're familiar with this one, I will never leave you nor forsake you. And we see that He is with us always. Um, Matthew 28.20, I am with you always, even till the end of the age. We are never alone. No matter what we go through, we are never alone. Um, John 14.3, I love this one. And I go to prepare a place for you, and I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. And I love this, and this is where Peter, or Thomas, he kind of gets a, he kind of gets a, a bad, uh, rap in the, in the Bible. But I love Thomas because Thomas said, Lord, how will we know the way? And we all know John 14, 6, it says, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And, and, and you know, when I was, I was thinking about this verse, and I was thinking about it, that today, that verse is not politically correct, right? People go around and say, hey, that's, that's a very narrow way. That's not, that's not right. That's not right that they're excluding all these other people. No, Jesus says very clearly, this is what Jesus says. But it is more important for us to be biblically correct and not politically correct. It is more important for us to be biblically correct. And so we, we, we see those things there, and I just love that verse. But one of the things that I, I was reminded of this week, that the promises of our God are like a check, they're like a check, right? They're so we remember that when we write a check, I don't know if anybody still writes checks anymore, but uh, we still do at our house. But uh, so we, if you write a check, it's really, it's, uh, there has to be sufficient funds in the, in the account for this check to be any good. If I wrote one of you tonight, if I wrote one of you a check for a million dollars, two million dollars, it wouldn't be worth the, the, the paper that it's written on because there is insufficient funds. But we see that the promises of God, that He has enough for whatever His promises are that He's given us, and we can know for sure that the promises of God are true, that He has all that it is. And one of the things that I, that I see in this, that God always has the means to take care of whatever's going on in the future. Have you ever told your kids that I promise that I'm going to take you somewhere? I remember when I was a kid, my father used to say, I'll, I promise that I'm going to take you to the park on Sunday. And we would be all excited the whole week. And then Sunday would come and he said, I'm sorry, I'm not going to be able to take you the, to, the, to the park today. And I would say, we as kids say, why not? And he'd say, because the car broke down. And we'd say, oh, okay. But you promised. 
But we see that that never happens with God. That God always knows the beginning from the end. And so he never, he, the promises of God, we, we can always bank on the promises of God that that check is always, there always is sufficient funds in the promises of God. And so I think it's so powerful that we see that. And we know that this one, um, this is very clear that this promise is so uh, amazing to me. And it is John 3.16, right? For God so loved the world, right? That he sent his one and only begotten son that whoever believed in him would not perish but have ever, everlasting life, right? That, that if they would just believe and, and trust in the promises of God. And so it's so powerful that we see that. The last thing here, as we get to the end of this verse here, one of the things that it speaks about, it speaks about this divine nature, that uh, we are partakers of this divine nature. Um, and, and as it speaks about this divine nature, it, it, we reminded that nature determines appetite. And we remember that a pig, he, he wants, a pig has a desire to eat slop. Right? And a dog, he wants to eat dog food, right? And just like a, a child of God, right? A child of God that we feed on the bread of life. Spiritually, this is our nature as we come into that relationship with Christ that we should have a love for the word of God. That, did I remember that before I was a Christian, when people would tell me, hey, these people over here, they're Christians, they're followers of God. I would think those people are kind of weird. I, I don't know if I want to. I don't know if I want to be hanging out with those people. Those people are kind of weird to me. But we see as we accept Christ, and we see that the the love that we have, and we partake of the bread of life, that God changes the way we view life and changes the way that we see others, because we see that the love of Christ is the gift of Christ, of God has been given on each and every one of us, and we're just in awe of what God is doing. As we speak tonight, as I close tonight, one of the things that I wanted to share with you as we talk about nature, I'm always reminded of, of a story that I heard years ago about a professor that he had recently given his life to Christ. And he was sharing with his students that he said that he felt that these two natures that he now had, that he said they felt like they were two wolves. And he said one of them was constantly telling him to go back to the way that he used to be. We're telling him, yes, you can still go to those places. You can still uh, smoke and drink and do all these things that you used to do before you came to know Christ. You can still do them. And so this nature was constantly in his ear telling him these things. But he had this new nature, this wolf was on his side, and he said that he felt like it was God whispering in his ear, and it was telling him, you no longer need those things, that you have a love for others and you have a love for me who I've given my life in exchange for your sins and for all the things you've done. And so these two natures, he said, are constantly going on. And one of the girls in the back of the, of the school or the, of, the, of the classroom raised her hand. And she said, she said Professor, Professor. And, and he said, yes, go ahead. And she said, which one, of the, which one of the wolves win? Which one of the wolves win? And I love his answer. He said, the one you feed. The one you feed and see if we will feed the things of the world, of the flesh, if we will feed those things that we will sow and we will reap. The Bible says very seriously that that's what we will reap. We can't plant, right, an orange tree and expect watermelons to come out. This is the same thing in the word of God, that if we, we seek the things of God, that we will partake of the things of God and his goodness and his love for each and every one of us. Amen? Amen. So, Father God, we thank you, Lord, um, for your word tonight, Father. We, we thank you, Lord, for allowing us to open your word tonight, Lord. We ask, Lord, tonight that we would um, 
we would take your word in tonight, Lord, and that we would, um, that you would change us, Lord, that you would change our hearts just a little bit more um, into your image, Lord. Um, Lord, we, we ask this week, Father, as we, um, we see things that are, are going on in the world, Father, we ask tonight, Lord, that you would use us as a light in darkness. We love you, Father, and we pray all of these things tonight in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.